Anytime you experience God, you walk away changed. You walk away a different person. And so with that in mind, uh, you know, I wrote this song because of that. That's where that, this idea came from. And uh, so I just want to pray and ask you to sing along with us that when we leave this place, we'll be just a little bit more like Jesus. And so it's called More Like You. Will you stand and let's sing together.
be seated. Welcome to worship. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, I want to draw your attention to the guest cards and the pew racks in front of you, and you can fill those out. There's some basic information for us to be able to get to know you, and you can take those at the end of the service uh, to our pastor at the Welcome Center, and uh, there's a box there if you want to talk with him, great. If you just drop that in there, uh, we'd love to have that and, and get to know you better. So welcome to worship. We are starting a week of prayer for North American missions. Uh, this week, up until Easter, we're going to be collecting a missions offering. Our goal is $20,000 for North American missions. And that uh, helps support Southern Baptist missionaries that are stateside doing work here. And uh, they're trying to reach North America, but in that effort, they're also reaching the nations because the world has come to our soil and uh, we can impact the world through, uh, through just giving to missions in North America. So I encourage you to, to be a part of that uh, missions experience and offering this Easter season. So uh, this guide that you have in your worship guide, uh, the prayer guide there, uh, you, each day for eight days, there are uh, different missionaries and their ministries you can pray for. And we're gonna pray for this day one. This is Kay Bennett. She has a ministry in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. She works a lot with homeless and uh, different things. You can read about that there. But we're going to pray this morning for, for Kay and, uh, and pray for our worship time and our morning together. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather, uh, to experience you, to experience your presence, and have you make these fine tunings in our lives or these dramatic changes that we may need as we uh, experience you, God. So thanks for this opportunity to gather, give you praise and worship and experience you, God. God, we lift up uh, this ministry in Louisiana and New Orleans and Kay and the, the ministry she's doing with homeless people and people who have needs. We just pray that uh, that uh, that ministry, that, that there would be, um, that our gifts and offering would help uh, provide the financial resources that are needed, but that we would also just uh, volunteers and people, that you would just work through those who are giving, uh, being hands and feet uh, in that community uh, to meet needs and to point people to you. And uh, we just pray your blessing on that ministry. We pray your, pray your blessing on our, our gathering of worship. May be honoring to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Will you stand and let's continue to sing.
Yes, give the Lord a hand. Yes. Praise God. Oh, what he's done, what he's done. We can go on and on to celebrate the fact that God has done great and awesome things for us. Now let's, let's sing it. See, on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side, no greater sacrifice. What he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's
We haven't done anything to earn the blessings. It's just because you are a great God. You're a great Savior. And you love us. And so, Lord, for that, we are grateful. We are so grateful for what you have done. Lord, I ask you now to, to bless this time that we have as we open the Word of God. We hear from you, Lord. May you bless, uh, bless our hearts by imparting on us the, the knowledge of you and, and your Holy Spirit touches our spirits, Lord. That we may sure, as, as you have told us, that we will leave this place different than when we came because we have experienced you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Todd. Good morning. Good to see each of you today. Glad you're here. I've uh, been away a week, and I want to spend just a moment to catch up with you. Uh, we concluded our sign-up for our intercessory prayer ministry, and I want to thank those of you who have signed up uh, to take a uh, specific time each week to pray for our church. Debbie Leet, who leads this ministry, does a great job doing that, tells me that we have 122 slots filled. That means on an average of 18 hours of every day, there's somebody praying for First Baptist Church. Uh, amen. Praise God for that. And uh, so thank you for your prayers. We believe in that prayer. And she tells me that there are 32 new people who have joined this ministry, uh, who weren't uh, praying in this ministry last year. So welcome to those of you who are doing this for the first time. I pray this will be a blessing to your life and a growth point in your prayer life as you develop that discipline and routine of praying. I also want to say a word about Upward Basketball that concluded last week, Upward Basketball and Cheerleading. I'm grateful to Shonda Hensick who leads that ministry. And uh, thank you to every one of you who gave your Saturdays. You gave eight Saturdays in a row as well as practice to invest in the lives of children. And only eternity will reveal what your investment has meant. So thank you, coaches, referees, coordinators, all of you who, who served in that. Amen. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Tim, shared, Tim Hensick shared the gospel in the, the three awards nights uh, last week, week before last, and uh, uh, had, had several people indicate, uh, want to know more about following Jesus, and we just pray for the gospel that, that was shared there. One more thing I want to share with you. Uh, we began CDP classes last Wednesday night, had a great slate of classes. Uh, I'm beginning my class a week late since I was gone, so beginning this Wednesday, I'll be teaching about how to share your faith. It's called Anatomy of a Christian Witness. Every Christian ought to know in a simple way, how to tell somebody else what it means to be a Christian. We'll memorize three words, three verses. We'll learn how to answer the ten most common objections to Christianity. Learn how to minister to people after you've shared with them and loved them. So if you want to learn how to share your faith, how to share with your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, talk about how to share with children, begins this Wednesday, 6.30, as well as those that began last week. Encourage you to come back on Wednesday night and continue your discipleship. This morning I want to ask you a question. What do you call us? What do you call people who worship Jesus and are attached to Jesus? Well, there are several names in the Bible given for us. I want to take just a moment in the opening chapters of Acts by way of introduction to remind you of some of those. One of the earliest titles for us is believers. We're believers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says... All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's a good name for us. 
We're believers. That is, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe Jesus died and rose again. Not everybody believes. We believe, don't we? We're believers. That's a great name for us. Another name for us that developed early in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, we see even before then, is disciples. We're disciples. A disciple is a a learner or an apprentice of someone, and we're apprentices to Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it uses this title, among other places. So the word of God spread, and the number of, doesn't say believers here, it says the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So we are disciples of Jesus. Another term that we don't use as much today, but occurs four or five times in the book of Acts, is those who belong to the way. Before it was called Christianity, it was called the way. And we are people who belong to the way. I'll show you one place. It says in uh, Acts 9, 1 through 2, Meanwhile, Saul was still bringing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. There's that title we've already seen. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul was persecuting those who belong to the way. That's a great title, isn't it? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we belong to the way. We found the way to heaven. We found the way to life. We found the way to hope and to joy and to peace. We're people who belong to the way. We don't use that one as much anymore. But then in the book of Acts... By chapter 11 came a title that has become universal, and that is the word Christian. And it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that um, from the middle, middle of the verse, a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples, that was the name, were for, called Christians first at Antioch. So here at Antioch, maybe as an, by the opposition, oh, that bunch of Christians Uh, means belonging to Christ. They're Herodians, people who were attached to or belonged to Herod. Well, Christians, those who attached to Christ. And so that became the title that we use the most of what you call us. We are Christians. We belong to Christ. And that's become the most universal title for us. But in recent days, there are some who have introduced another title, Christ followers. It's not found in the Bible in that form, at least exactly in that way. And I had never heard that title growing up. I don't know when it originated. I don't know who started it. But it's of relatively recent origin. And the reason that that is used now somewhat as a title for us is that the idea of Christian became just so watered down in some people's. You know, America's a Christian nation. Everybody's a Christian. And it just became to lose, in the eyes of some people, it's, uh, it, it, it's meaning. I'm sure not giving up on the title Christian. It's a biblical name. I proudly own the name that I am a Christian. But Christ follower was developed to have the idea that when we say Christian, we mean somebody who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you follow Christ. And so I think it's a good term. Not a biblical term, but I think it's a good term. Who are we? We Christians We're not just anybody who lives in a Christian nation or who's not an atheist or not a Buddhist or not a Muslim, so you must be a Christian. You know, the 500 members of Congress, 90% of them identify as Christian. I won't go too much farther on that, but I'm just saying it could be 
that that's become watered down just a little bit. And so this term Christ follower, even though we won't abandon the name Christian, is saying, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus that you follow him? So during the month of March, what I'd like for us to do is just to look at what Jesus said about following him. We're going to look at passages in the gospel where Jesus uses the word follow. That's our key word for this month. And we're going to look at passages where Jesus talked about what would it mean to follow him, even though Christ follower is not in that form in the text. Certainly the idea of being a follower is, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ. We begin today in a short passage in the first chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, when Jesus first called his followers. Let's look at it with me, if you will. It says in Mark 1, 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is not an ocean, it's a lake. It's called that later in this verse, freshwater lake. But it's a big lake, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, and Jesus was walking along the shore, and he saw two fishermen, two brothers, who were fishing. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. You've probably seen somebody use a cast net, round net, has weights all around, and if you know how to throw it just right, you can throw it so that it spreads out and sinks to the bottom, and the weights go and envelop fish, and then they pull it back in. That's what Simon and Andrew were doing on the shore of the lake. They were fishermen, and it says in verse 17 that Jesus called them, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. So I want to consider three things about what it means to follow Jesus. What, we'll look first at the call, then at the response. This verse has the call, next verse has the response. First of all, what does it mean for Jesus to call us to follow him? Well, the first thing I want to share with you is that Jesus takes the initiative in seeking followers. Do you see that here? Jesus takes the initiative in seeking followers. They didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for them. Uh, Jesus invaded their world. He, went, he invaded their work day. He interrupted their work day. He came to them. And the unique thing that we have is a God who's a seeking God. He's looking for you. He's going after you. Jesus would compare himself in Luke 15 to a shepherd who will leave 99 sheep and go look for the one. And here he is doing this. He's walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he is looking at you. You didn't choose Jesus. He first of all choose you. Yeah, there's a response coming. We'll look at that. But Jesus is that seeking. And I would have you to consider that he might be seeking you as a follower. He'll come and invade your life when you don't expect him. He'll come and interrupt your plans and your work day and where you're headed in life and might say to you, I have a different direction for you. You don't choose the time. You don't choose the place. Jesus is looking for you. He's seeking followers. He takes the initiative in seeking followers. I'm speaking not only about the call to salvation. I don't know if this is their born-again moment or not. I don't know if that's 
earlier, later, here? I, I'm not real sure. It was a process with them. I'm saying this does happen when he calls you to initially follow him, but it also happens at other times in your life when Jesus is calling you to a ministry or a mission or, or, or to, uh, to embrace his will and not your will, and you're going one way in life, and Jesus will come to you and say, come, follow me. Second thing I would have you to see in verse 17 is that Jesus calls followers to himself. He calls followers to himself. You see it in verse 17. He said, come, follow me. Come, follow me. This thing of being a Christian or a Christ follower is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He did not call them come to follow uh, a code of conduct or a body of doctrine. He called them into a relationship with himself. And that is unique among the religions. Buddhism will point you to an eightfold path. Islam will point you to five pillars. But Christianity will point you to a living Lord whom you can know and relate to. And he says, come follow me. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. He died and rose again, so he's still alive. He's as, as alive now as he was when he walked this shore, and he invites you into a relationship with him. And Christianity, above all, is, is that. It is not just that I'm not an atheist, so I must be a Christian. It's a personal relationship with a living Lord. Jesus says, come, follow me. And you can know him, and you can have a friend in your life, and you can have a confidant, and you can have someone there with you. Jesus says, come, follow me. The third thing I'd have you to see in verse 17 about this call is that Jesus calls his followers to a higher purpose for living. He calls his followers to a higher purpose for living. Jesus said in verse 17, come, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He spoke their language. They were fishermen. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, would you like to catch bigger fish? Every fisherman I've ever known wants to catch bigger fish. And Jesus says, there's bigger fish than this. You can fish for people, for people. He gave them a higher purpose in life. I want to speak to those of you who are younger High school students, college students, young adults especially. But I think that's the age of these men. I don't know how old Peter, uh, Simon, and Andrew were here. But probably in their early 20s from what we can decipher. And Jesus offers them a different direction for their life. What are you going to do with your life, young people? You know, I'm very optimistic about this generation of young people. I am so grateful for the signs of revival that we're beginning to see percolate from the Asbury Revival and now on many college campuses. And uh, I, I'm going to see this week, I haven't seen it yet, a new movie called The Jesus Revolution, which is about the time when, when I experienced God's call upon my life uh, to ministry in the 70s. And there's a new mo a movie out about that starring Kelsey Grammer. tells that story. And I saw, I saw uh, different clips this week of some of the cities where it opened. And in the theaters after the movie, they had revival. There were people praying and singing and staying after the movie. I'm encouraged about this younger generation. I am encouraged that there may be signs of God's movement in that hunger for something more than the world has been offering 
And Jesus calls you to a higher purpose for living. I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was nine years old. I'm certain of that. But it was when I was 15 years old when I found a purpose for life greater than the original plans I had for myself. And you can too. Would you consider what is God's call upon your life? Now, I'm not speaking just of... um, just of becoming a pastor or a missionary or that maybe God's call to your life. But I'm saying, will you just embrace that God, I'm going to, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You're going to be first. And he'll give you a higher purpose in life, a richer, fuller life. You see, there is some attitude sometimes among people that you, when you become a Christian, you give up all the fun and you give up all the, and you surrender, you know, oh, surrender to Christ. And it's, oh, man, and that the, it's almost like the ideal life would be to live a life of sin uh, right up to before you died and then become a Christian and get to go to heaven. That'd be the best life, right? Wrong! That's totally wrong. The greatest life you'll ever live is the life following Jesus. Come, follow me, and I'll give you a higher purpose for living. I'll make you to become fishers of people. And the best life, the greatest adventure that you'll ever live, young people, is in the center of the will of God. If you'll find God's will for your life and you'll follow his word, you'll have the greatest life. Stephen Curtis Chapman in the 1990s wrote what was then a contemporary Christian song entitled, The Great Adventure. Let me read to you just a few lyrics from that song. It says, saddle up your horses, you've got a trail to blaze through the yonder of God's amazing grace. Let us follow our leader into the glorious unknown. This is the life like no other. Whoa, whoa, this is the great adventure. He does those whoa, whoa's better than I do. But this is the great adventure. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I'll give you a higher purpose for living. You become fishers of men. Now, there's the call. Jesus takes the initiative. He calls you into a relationship with himself. He offers you a higher purpose for living. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now let's look at the response. How did they respond? You've got to respond to the call. In verse 18 it says, At once they left their nets and followed him. Let me share with you two things about the response there that are required in the response that we learned from this verse. First of all, following Jesus requires a decisive response. At once, they followed him. They didn't think about it. They didn't didn't say, well, we're going to go talk about that. At once, they followed him. It requires a decisive response on your part. Now, I do not mean to imply uh, that this was the first time that they had ever met Jesus. That would be sort of weird. Some guy you've never seen before comes walking up to you on the shore and says, come follow me and you'll catch bigger fish and you okay. Uh, you know, that's, that's, if you just read Mark's gospel, this is in the very first chapter, you, you might think that's the case. You mean they had never met him before and he just comes up and says, come follow me. But we have four gospels and John, we think, wrote later and he get, filled in some of the gaps for us and John tells about what was called the year of obscurity. The first four chapters of John occur before Mark 1 as you put the Gospels together and harmonize them. So in Mark, in John 1, we learn that they have known Jesus for a while, a few months, maybe up to a year. They were, 
at least Andrew, was originally a disciple of John the Baptist, a follower of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist introduced him to Jesus. Let's just go over to, to John's Gospel for just a moment. We'll come back to Mark. Let me read you what had happened a few months or a year earlier that set this up. John 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look! The Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he said, and you'll see. So they went and uh, saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So several months earlier, they'd met Jesus. Jesus had looked at Simon and given him that nickname right off the bat. And they went with him. They had seen him... uh, clear the temple in in, in John 2. They'd gone with him to the wedding at Cana and seen him turn water into wine, but then they'd gone back home. In other words, they'd gone on some short-term mission trips with Jesus. They had known him. This was not out of the blue. But now, when Jesus comes walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he says to them, it's time to fish or cut bait. It's time for a decision. You've seen me. You know me. What's it going to be? Are you in? Are you you out? Come. Follow me. And I'll make you to become fishers of men. It's the moment of decision. They've got the evidence. They've seen evidence of who he is. They've heard him speak. And they have been with him. But it comes time for a decisive moment to say, who are you going to be? What what are you going to do in life? And it's the same thing with you. There comes a time in your life when you have to say, who am I? Whose will I be? What direction of my life is going to go? You know about Jesus. You've hung out with Jesus like they had. You've hung out at church. But now I'm asking you for that decisive decision. Who are you going to be in life? Who are you going to belong to? What's going to be first? Following Jesus requires a decisive decision response. The second thing we learn about this decision from verse 18 is that following Jesus requires leaving lesser things behind. When you follow Jesus, you're going to have to leave some things behind. It requires leaving lesser things behind. Look again at verse 18. At once they left their nets and followed him. It doesn't mean they never fished again. We see in the Gospels that they would fish to earn money other times. But that was not their primary identity from this point on. It was a change of identity and of loyalty and direction of priority in their life. And they left their nets. Let me read you about the sequel in verse 19. When he had gone a little farther, so he's walking a little farther, he's got two behind him now. Jesus, Peter, And Andrew, two brothers, he'd gone a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. So they're getting ready to go out in the boat fishing. They're preparing their nets. 
and without delay he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. It may have been their fishing business was a little bit bigger than Peter and Andrew. Don't know for sure just from this, but they had a boat but they had hired servants. This is like Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company, you know. It's maybe a little bit bigger. And they leave not only their nets, but they leave their father. And they leave the hired men. And maybe they had dreams. What were their dreams? One day we're going to take this over. It's going to be our fishing business. We may add another boat. We may expand. But now they left it behind and followed him. And you can't just add Jesus to your life. You can't be everything to everybody. You've got to leave some sins behind, but they're not leaving sins. They're leaving some good things. And other things can be in your life. Peter still has a wife, still has a house. Jesus is going to go live with him. But there's a, different, there's a change in dynamic here. Jesus is first. And their first identity is we are Christ followers. We're following Jesus Christ. What is God calling you to leave behind? What competes with a loyalty to Jesus Christ that he would have you say no to lesser things so that you can say yes to greater things? What is he saying in your life? Can I show you one more of these call stories, probably the disciple number five, just to review these principles? You might have been asleep during one of them, or you know, I know, your mind wanders, and I know. So, so let's, can I share with you real quickly just two verses in Luke, the call of, of, of uh, Matthew, and you see almost the exact same five principles. So let's just review them there in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Do you see the principles there in the call? He invaded Matthew's world. He went to where he was. He interrupted his business. Matthew had these plans, and Jesus interrupted them. He's going to interrupt you today. Maybe this is not what you thought when you came here today, that this would be a life-changing encounter. And Jesus has come to you. And what does he say to Matthew? He says, follow me. He calls him to a personal relationship with himself. Now, the higher purpose is not stated here. He didn't say like he did to, to Peter and to James, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He could have said to Matthew, follow me and I'll give you a greater return on your investment. He could have, but he didn't. But it's sort of implied here, you had to really be about money to be a tax collector because a Jew who worked for the occupying Roman government was hated by the other Jews. We see that throughout the Gospels. Matthew had sort of sold out for money here. But that money had not satisfied him completely and it will not satisfy you completely. And Jesus said, come follow me. And look at the response. And Levi got up. He got up. Immediate response. I'm going to call you in a moment to get up and to follow Jesus. And he left what? He left everything. He left the money on the table and followed him. Jesus still calls followers. When I was in the Holy Land on a trip, I was at the Sea of Galilee, and when you go as a tourist, the Holy Land, you take a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, and they tell you about you know, Jesus walking on the water and all the things that happened there. 
went across the lake and we docked and we did some things over there and then we got back on the boat to, to go back across. And while we were getting back on the boat, loading on the boat, below us in the water, in the edge of the water there, was a small fishing boat. And it was ankle deep in small fish, like six or seven, not, not sardines, a little bigger, six or seven inches long fish. And there was this young man, about 20 years old, uh, and he was shoveling those fish from the bottom of that open boat onto a conveyor belt with these little pockets, and it was taking them up, I'm sure, to a processing, you know, it was putting them up out of the boat into a container, and I'm sure they were going to be processed. It was hot. He had his shirt off. The sweat was glistening on his back. Had a big mop of curly hair. I thought maybe he was a young Jewish man. He could have been Palestinian. I, I was not sure. But he was just shoveling those fish into that boat. And I just stood there. We were waiting for everybody to get on board. And I just stood there and watched him. And I thought, wow, here 2,000 years later, there's still a fisherman on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, young 20-year-old guy, plying his trade. And I couldn't help but wonder, I wonder if that young man is a follower of Jesus Christ. And I just prayed for him never see him again, never know his name. I just prayed, God, I just pray that this young Jewish or Palestinian man would become a follower of Jesus. How ironic it would be if he were there in the very vicinity of where Jesus had walked, doing the same thing that Jesus' first followers had done, and he'd not know Jesus in a personal way. How, how tragic that would be, right? How tragic it would be for us in a land where the gospel is shared so broadly, if we miss that call to follow Jesus. Jesus is still on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and in Manchester, Tennessee, still calling followers. Still saying to them today, interrupting your life, saying, come, follow me. I'll give you a higher purpose for living. You must decide if you will make a decisive response and leave lesser things behind and become a Christ follower. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. Today I invite you, this is that point of decisive decision in your life, to walk forward and to say, I'm ready to leave lesser things behind. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe that call comes to you at some other point in your life as you wrestle with the will of God in your business or your family life or you hear God calling you to an assignment. Would you say, I will follow you. I will follow you.
close here this morning just want to direct your attention to the worship guide you've heard about the CDP classes I'm not going to mention each of those to you there are six different choices the information about those class a little bit about what that class is about um, each of these are available um, on Wednesday nights so we'd love to have you come and be a part of our CDP classes two other quick announcements in there is the mom's night out that's this Thursday night you can see about it um, there's snacks a speaker and fellowship for moms of all ages so come be a part of that and finally, there's the, the men's ministry, the, the uh, fly fishing trip. It's coming up. This is like a training course type class. Uh, it's a small group of people. We're going to have like a, a one-on-six, one-on-eight ratio of training. If you want to learn more about fly fishing, 
Uh, this includes uh, the equipment to be able to, to do that and to learn that skill, lunch while you're out there along the river, having a good time with a small group of men. Uh, you can see you can contact Martin. His information is in there as well. And so if that interests you, please get a hold of him, and uh, you can get that information. That's coming up here on the 11th, so don't miss out on that. Um, we've uh, seen about our, um, the, the North American mission offering. Just want to remind you, you can worship through giving there in the, in the uh, boxes there on the back wall. You can put their missions offering in there as well. Um, you can just place that in an envelope and put it there uh, in, the, in the box there on the back wall. Let me close this out in prayer this morning. Father, we just stop to say thank you for the chance to follow you, that you initiate a relationship with us so that we can place our faith and our trust in you. And Jesus, we just say thank you. Thank you for giving us grace and forgiveness and a chance at freedom and hope and joy in you. Father, we thank you uh, just for the chance to gather here with friends, with family, to be able to uh, just to encourage one another and challenge each other to dig into your word this morning. And Father, uh, we pray in this next hour of connection groups that we can just build a closer connection, not only with you, but with other people here within this room. Lord, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.